Back in 2017, the city of Los Angeles and the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power asked NREL to help them answer a really big question. What would it take to get LA's entire grid running on 100% renewable energy by 2045? So all the transmission, the distribution, the resources, all of the investments that we need to take. And what are the job implications of that? What are the affordability implications of that? Um, And what are the equity implications of, of that as well? And there are multiple different pathways to do that. Now, the scale of that transition is immense. Almost 4 million residents live within the city limits. Pulling it off would make LADWP the largest municipal utility in the country to run on 100% renewable energy. But in 2021, a study called the LA100 said it wasn't just possible to make the switch. It was possible to do it a whole decade sooner. So LADWP changed their goal. Instead of converting the grid by 2045, they do it by 2035. Just a little over an hour ago, Uh, The City Council of Los Angeles took a monumentally important vote uh, to set a goal for the Department of Water and Power, the largest municipal utility in America, to generate 100% clean, carbon-free energy by the year 2035. As Director of Power System Planning at the utility, Jason Rondu and his team are tasked with figuring out how to deploy hundreds of gigawatts worth of wind, solar, and long-term storage to meet the city's growing energy demands. What we found is that under any circumstance, under any pathway, under any strategy that we get to 100%, we are going to have um, a very significant effort in front of us, particularly over the next decade. And that means that um, our our power uh, demand is going to be growing significantly, probably over 50% increase in our demand uh, over the next uh, several decades. That demand is coming from more than just buildings. It's also coming from the hundreds of thousands of EVs that will soon replace gas-powered vehicles on L.A. streets. And if done right, the city's transition could create nearly 10,000 new jobs and bring in 60 to 90 billion of new investment for the city. So it goes well, well beyond uh, just what many would think of as the core important thing that we do uh, of decarbonization and and delivering reliable and affordable power. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say utilities are slow to change, they don't innovate fast enough. And while it might not always seem like the most cutting-edge industry, there are lots of really smart people working really hard to make the grid cleaner, more reliable, and customer-centric. This week, I'm speaking with Jason Rondu, the Director of Power System Planning at the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Jason has spent almost two decades working for the city, first on LA's transit system as a transportation engineering associate, and then on numerous clean energy programs at LADWP. He knows firsthand what's possible in the public sector, and he's determined to drive LA's energy transition forward, with equity in mind for some of the city's least fortunate residents. Um, It's exciting. It's exciting because this is a challenge that um, I think, you know, not many industries are faced with. It's a challenge where the benefits are substantial to the city. It's exciting because LA is in a position where we can lead, where the state of California is leading the country and the city of Los Angeles has expressed goals that that go beyond the state of California's goals. I talked with Jason about the policies and programs LADWP is using to clean up the city's grid and the ways that a public utility like theirs is uniquely suited to the challenge. We started our conversation with an update on LA's progress and how the grid will have to change to hit the utility's 100% clean energy goal by 2035. So when we 
When we finished the LA100 study in March of 2021, uh, we found that the common areas of investment, no matter what we uh, try to do, if we're trying to, to really maximize utility scale renewable resources at a really low cost, but maybe very far away from the city center, or if our strategy is to really try to maximize local resources and minimize the amount of new transmission that we would need to build, you know, those are sort of bookends of different strategies that we could um, you know, try to achieve. What we found is that no matter what our strategy is, we need to dramatically increase our transmission reach. So that's just one piece of it. So to give you sort of a, a reference point, the city of LA is about 10% of the state of California when it comes to uh, electric load. So 10% of California. But we have about 25% of the transmission capacity in the state. So we're very, very fortunate in that regard that the, that transmission reach that goes well beyond the city of Los Angeles that reaches out into several Western states in, in, in the country allows us to really rapidly bring in new renewable resources. But even with LADWP having 25% of the state's transmission capacity, we still need more. We still need more transmission capacity. Uh, we also, under whatever strategy, and, and by the way, that's that's true even if our strategy is to really invest and maximize local resources. Now, on the flip side, if our strategy is to maximize really large-scale external resources, we still have to rapidly and, and significantly increase our local resources as well. Um, so that's just on the transmission side, the distribution side as well. We need to build potentially up to 10 new stations, and those are distributing stations, over the next 20 or so years. And I think that's a little bit counterintuitive to folks that see decarbonization as potentially not requiring a lot of new infrastructure locally, and that's that's actually not the case. We have to have a more robust distribution system to be able to support electric vehicles. So we have uh, adopted a power plan that uh, aims to achieve 80% renewables uh, by 2030, which will actually put us in the in the 90% um, range for carbon-free uh, resources as well. Um, at the end of 2021, we uh, adopted or we uh, had approved uh, the Red Cloud Wind Project, which is a very significant contributor to our renewable portfolio standard, uh, which will push us uh, comfortably above 40% uh, renewable energy uh, for uh, 2023. Um, and we're actively negotiating uh, additional uh, utility-scale renewable projects as well. Uh, in addition to that, we are expanding our uh, electric vehicle uh, incentive portfolio. Uh, we have a very, very robust uh, energy efficiency program, and we've uh, talked about doubling that over the next uh, uh, 10 to 20 years. Uh, and we've really ramped up our demand response uh, portfolio as well. So really across the board, we've had to take action um, on all of those common areas of investment uh, for the you know decarbonization of our power system. Yeah, I love that. I'm I'm a big believer in the role the customer can play in this as well. Obviously, the infrastructure is very important, but you know, helping customers shift that load and have uh, more thoughtful use of energy, especially during those real hot periods of time, goes a long way uh, towards helping in those decarbonization efforts. So it's great to see you guys looking at both the infrastructure side and the customer side because combining those two, I think, gets us to where we need to be uh, faster. You know, on that note of customers, I, you know, I think it's fair to say that we can't modernize our grid and we can't decarbonize our grid fully without 
the act of engagement and the act of participation of, of our customers, um, which means that all of our power planning activities, they have to be transparent and they have to be deeply engaged um, you know, in the community with community-based organizations, with the environmental community, um, so that when, when we do have these power plans that show that it's much more than just renewable energy, it's, it's actual infrastructure. It, it, it means that w- there's going to be significant construction you know, locally and outside of the city that folks understand that. And we've, we've done that historically with our power planning um, even before the LA100 study where we've had uh, uh, stakeholders embedded in our process. And we really ramped that up with the LA100 study and we've continued that even after the LA100 study. And what it's, what it's allowed us to do is when we're planning our power system future, you know, sitting down next to us in the room are these, you know, leaders of various sectors within the city. We start to understand more deeply what they care about and what they're concerned about and what they would like to see. And then they have the opportunity to see more deeply what it takes to actually plan a power system and how interdependent the different sectors are. So lots of other utilities are undertaking very similar initiatives to yours. Um, one of the reasons I love doing this show is because we get to learn from each other. Um, so are there any specific challenges, major challenges that have arisen uh, and maybe how your team is addressing those? There's a number of you know, challenges. There's a number of you know, barriers and, and roadblocks when it comes to our power system future. Some of that is within our direct control. Some of that is not. Um, one of the biggest challenges, again, is, is going to be staffing. We know that under any strategy, not only will it create significant amount of job opportunities within the city of Los Angeles, but it also is going to mean that we need to ramp up our own internal capabilities. Um, we need to be able to pay wages that are competitive in the industry so that we can retain talent. We need to be able to train you know, new engineers and really turn them into the, to the best engineers in this sector. And the way that we've approached this is to deploy or to develop and then deploy what we call the Integrated Human Resource Plan, which aims to understand all of the interdependencies within our power system, all of the different bottlenecks with respect to labor and with respect to, you know, just ensuring that we staffed appropriately and being able to hire them and, and recognize that in the utility industry, you you very rarely can hire folks out of the, you know, right out of the gate and, and have them working, you know, and actually constructing things, you know, the next day. In some cases, it will take years to uh, have folks, you know, uh, go through journey programs and, and that sort of thing and train engineers to be able to get uh, very, very productive. So we've, in a very proactive way, outlined the different uh, staffing levels by year over the next 20 years to be able to understand what we need to do be, to be able to onboard folks. And what, what we've uncovered is that as, as a municipal and utility, and every utility is going to have different challenges when it comes to hiring. Some will be more nimble, some will be a le- less nimble. But what it's allowed us to do is to uncover, hey, there's a lot of different obstacles that we need to start to resolve and partner with different city, uh, uh, sister city agencies to be able to onboard folks faster. And that's just on the hiring side. On the, on the policy side, we know that um, there, in addition to, to state-level policy and local policy that says we want to get to certain levels of renewable by certain dates, whether that's 2045, 2035, or any other date, that's, that's the sort of end goal that we're trying to reach. 
that policy doesn't help bring down barriers. Some barriers that we've seen are on transmission. What we need to see is we need to see streamline of transmission permitting, and we need to make sure that all of the different agencies that play a role in approving different transmission projects, whether they're upgrades or new transmission corridors, that there's much tighter coordination there. And I'll give you a an anecdote which I think really solidifies how uh, important this is. So you already know about LADBP's really rich transmission capacity. Well, with our last power plan, we said, here are different scenarios of reaching 100% renewable energy, and here are some interim goals. One interim goal was reaching 80% by 2030. Well, we looked at another scenario that reached 90% renewable by 2030, so 10% you know, higher levels at the same year. And we said, you know, we can't do the 90%. We can only do at, at most the 80%. And a lot of folks said, why? And we said, well, you know, the cost of doing 80% and 90% were exactly the same. It's because gas prices have increased. And so folks would say, why in the world would you not do 90%? Why would you only do 80%? And that's because under status quo uh, conditions with permitting and building new transmission, we won't be able to get enough transmission capacity to bring in 90%. And if that happens, not only have you procured that additional 10%, but now you're going to rely on natural gas. You're actually going to be paying twice. So that really highlights how urgent it is to be able to make sure that we can really streamline transmission because it means the difference between reaching higher levels of renewables sooner. Um, Coming back to your time at LADWP, you've worked your way through many different positions and you've been part of a lot of projects and milestones, you know, the increased share of wind and solar in the city's energy mix, uh, the introduction of other sources of carbon-free power like geothermal nuclear, uh, and more recently, the approval of an $800 million project to convert the city's biggest natural gas power plant into a green hydrogen power plant. Um, is there a project that stands out to you as maybe best representing what LADWP is capable of accomplishing at its current pace? We've got so many. You know, we, we've got a massive power system reliability program where we have a distribution system that serves 4 million people in the city of Los Angeles that has been built out over the last 100 years. And that means that there's different vintages all across the city of you know, eras of infrastructure where we have a, a continuous uh, replacement and upgrade cycle that we need to do. You know, it's a reminder that as we try to decarbonize and as we add more you know solar and wind and so on we can't we can't neglect the foundation the, we need to build on a strong foundation and what that what that really is is the core of what we're trying to do is is really maintain our distribution system so continuing to make the investments there uh, continuing to make the investments on our transmission system but also as you mentioned incorporating new wind and new solar, um, you know, across the board, we have uh, you know just an endless amount of you know projects that are you know in some in some cases you know concurrently happening. Another one of them is at our Intermountain Power project out in Utah, which historically has provided very affordable, very reliable uh, coal. Um, but that affordable and reliable coal comes with very significant external costs and uh, in terms of uh, carbon emissions. And so um, we're going through the process now of rebuilding that uh, as a plant that will provide 
hydrogen, green hydrogen power in the future and actually be a corridor to be able to bring in massive amounts of renewable energy. So when we have excess renewable energy and when we have really low cost renewable energy, uh, we'll be able to produce green hydrogen and store it at Intermountain uh, Power Project, uh, which is is actually located in Utah and is another example of the reach that the city of LA is fortunate to have to be able to bring resources um, all across the Western United States into the city and be able to power uh, the city uh, going forward. Uh, and that's one example. As you mentioned, we also have the example of the Scattergood Power Plant, which um, is, I think you had mentioned, was um, the largest, but it's it's one of uh, four power plants that we have in the city of Los Angeles. And this is really a an outcome of the LA 100 study, which is, you know, no matter what your strategy is to get to 100% renewable energy, you have to have reliable power. You have to have resilient power. And in the face of um, wildfires, in the face of high heat days, other unplanned uh, extreme events, um, we need to be able to have some power to be able to provide in those events. And it and it might be less than one percent of the year that it actually happens. Um, but you know, in 2035 and 2045, when we are at 80 and 90 and 100% renewable energy, um, we need to have something to back up, you know, those those renewable resources if we 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 don't have the ability to get them home. And so uh, the Scattergood Power Plant um, is one that is going through uh, the environmental process now, and is is a project that will be uh, very critical uh, for us, um, you know, going forward. I feel like utilities take some heat for not moving fast enough on on these efforts. But then again, the response is it's got to be safe and it's got to be resilient. And so you do need to take a measured approach. You, you hit on that that power plant under construction. But I'm curious, as, as, a, as an expert in distributed energy resources, how are you thinking about balancing grid resilience with distributed generation? Are, are there major components of a clean, resilient grid? Oversimplifying it like this is probably going to make a, a few folks cringe, but there's there's the reality that we have to have local resources just from the resource perspective, but we also have to have you know storage, local storage, whether that's you know four hour storage or you know uh, the capability to shift load through demand response, um, time of use pricing, and you know energy efficiency, you know be able to to reduce loads at, at at key times. So in order to maintain a reliable grid, we need to have that. Some major events will be very short duration. Some will be, a, you know, an hour, a couple hours. Um, you know, we might lose, uh, you know, a unit then, and that unit might, you know, be, you know, brought back on, or we might have a, an interruption to a transmission line, and we might be able to, you know, we might have some redundancy. But there are some cases where we don't have that capability uh, to to easily replace imported power. One example of that is in 2019, there was a Satterridge fire, which impacted our our capability of bringing power into the city of Los Angeles. So it impacted all three of our transmission corridors, and we had to rely on local natural gas and local solar. And that event lasted, I think, you know, I might be off a little bit, but I think it was roughly about 12 hours. Um, In 2009, uh, we had the Sayre fire, something similar to that, where all of our transmission capability was impacted. And then the 1994 Northridge earthquake, which some folks will remember in the city of LA, um, impacted that capability as well. You know, we, the, the LADWP, we need to have the ability to, to withstand events like that. Um, we're going to be 
um, you know, we're going to be electrifying transportation and buildings, and more so than ever, we need to have reliable and resilient power. And to be able to do that, we need to have long-duration capacity, and that's going to be in the form of long-duration storage. It, it may be in the form of, of you know, uh, technologies that are, you know, still under development that may be available in the coming decades. But, you know, no matter what it is, we need to have local distributed resources and local capacity. So, you know, that's going to be local solar storage, demand response, energy efficiency, but it's also going to be uh, local capacity like, you know, our project at uh, Scattergood. What what impact does California's net zero goals have on system planning? Like, do you interact with the state regarding the net zero strategy? Are you working with like Southern California Edison, for instance, on different initiatives since you both serve parts of LA? Can you describe your work together kind of with, you know, state commissions, regulators, and or other utilities in the region? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely have, um, you know, coordination with, you know, obviously local stakeholders, but it's increasingly important for us to partner with other utilities, uh, partner with the ISO, because a lot of these major projects that will really move the needle on decarbonization um, are not going to be undertaken by one utility alone. So uh, what we recently uh, uh, did this past summer is we published our strategic transmission plan, which identifies potential new transmission corridors that may make sense for the city of Los Angeles to undertake on its own, uh, but in some cases may be very ambitious and may you know, have mutual benefit for us to partner with other utilities. So that was a major step for us to articulate some of that ambition in a public way. Um, we are also going to uh, continue our uh, you know, informal and formal engagement with other utilities as well. So, you know, we've got sort of you know, quarterly meetings with other utilities that are, you know, local as well, um, regular meetings with the the ISO. But we also in, in um, you know, we, we do have the more formal uh, requirements to submit our integrated resource planning uh, plans to the state uh, so that they can see what we're expecting to see with respect to load growth and what, what our plans are with, with respect to decarbonization and so on. So there's the combination of that, that formal engagement that we have with the state and other utilities, but also a lot of that is going to be, you know, a little less formal. And when I say less formal, I still mean, you know, you know, you know, actual engagement, but in terms of, you know, outside of the regulatory requirements, we need to be really proactive and, and really uh, work hand in hand with a lot of these utilities because there are opportunities for mutual benefit. Yeah, as a public utility, LADWP is in a unique position to answer directly to the needs of the city first. And as you mentioned, you guys have this you know, far-reaching transmission network. Um, in what way does that in California's energy ecosystem as a whole help LA's transition to uh, net zero carbon-free electricity? And are there any areas for improvement or, you know, things that you think maybe need to change or evolve um, to help you achieve those targets? We're a municipally-owned utility, so we are very well positioned to be responsive to the city of Los Angeles. So we are governed by our board and our city council and our mayor, and we are, you know, very deeply engaged. And so, uh, you know, more so than I think many other utilities, we are well positioned. Another unique uh, 
a feature of LADWP is we're vertically integrated. So we run our distribution system, our transmission system, and we own or control all of our generation resources. Either we own them and maintain them, or we have long-term power purchase agreements. So it allows us um, to, you know, when the city of Los Angeles, through our council, through our mayor, through our board, identify goals for us to reach, we have to depend on less external factors to be able to put them into action. We can start to undertake transmission investments, generation investments, distribution investments to actually make that happen. But yes, you know, even beyond that, there are certainly things that, that we need to see get done uh, in order to make sure that we can do this effectively. And, and I mentioned one of them earlier, which is we need to have transmission come online um, you know, a lot faster than it historically has. That's one of the big you know, uh, challenges uh, as well. Another, another challenge that we need to uh, really face is there needs to be a look at you know, rate structures. So you know, if we're talking about 50 to $80 billion of investment over the next 20 years and beyond, um, and, and that's funded largely through electric rates, uh, what what we need to to realize and what we need to communicate is under status quo rate design that is extraordinarily regressive, and policymakers need to understand, and that's where we have a role in communicating that. And this is you know a, a really important part of our power planning efforts as well as our our equity strategy study is to be able to communicate under status quo funding this grid transformation is very regressive. And policymakers need to understand that because you know Los Angeles is extraordinarily diverse from many perspectives. One of those perspectives is we have extraordinary wealth in the city, uh, but we also have you know, a, a housing crisis. We also have, you know, potentially up to 50% of our city is, is considered a disadvantaged community. And we have a, a very large portion of the city which is underserved. And so we need to understand and we need to communicate that status quo really needs to be looked at and we need to consider uh, uh, changes to the way that we uh, charge customers for electricity. What are the benefits of LADWP achieving 100% renewable energy by 2035? What's the impact going to be on the customers, whether residential, commercial, or industrial? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the benefits are going to be very obvious, and some of them maybe not so obvious. Of course, decarbonizing the grid comes with the reduction in carbon, and so there's the, you know, there's the climate benefit of that. But the reality is that the city of Los Angeles is, again, 10% of the, the state. And so we alone are not going to solve the climate crisis. And so the, it gives, that gets back to the importance of us doing it right. If we're going to lead, we need to lead in a way that you know, we execute this you know, reliably, affordably, um, and equitably. So in, in addition to the, the uh, carbon reduction benefits, the local air quality improvements, and, and as everybody knows, uh, Los Angeles is very car dependent. And so we have a huge opportunity to reduce local air quality emissions, which will have um, very, uh, very clear health benefits. And the LA100 study uh, articulated that. And that's something that we're building on uh, with future power plans as well in our equity strategy study. There's also going to be thousands of jobs uh, created as part of this. Um, a lot of those jobs uh, will be directly related to the work that we do. Uh, some of those jobs will be created within the Los Angeles Department of, of Water and Power. There will be an increasing amount of customer opportunities. Um, so 
participating in energy efficiency programs, electric vehicle rebates, et cetera, we've got a, a very significant portfolio and that portfolio of programs has to grow. So there'll be opportunities um, there as well. When you look back on your career, what impact do you hope to have on the energy industry? It, it would be fantastic to be able to look back in you know, five years and 10 years and, and 20 years and show that we have truly done this right and we have really brought to light a lot of the things that you know, folks have not seen in the past, which is you know, um, we have a role uh, and an opportunity to uh, really provide those jobs, to identify inequities and uh, uh, rectify those and provide uh, suites of programs that reach all customers and, and generally just improve um, the lives of the folks that live in the city of Los Angeles and set an example for other utilities uh, outside of the city of, of Los Angeles to where you know, they can learn from, from the work that, that we've done. I think that would be, uh, obviously, I think no secret, that would be a, a great thing to see. So last question for you, and I, I hope you think it's a fun one. Uh, we call this show With Great Power, which is a nod to the energy industry. Uh, it's also a, a famous Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. What superpower do you bring to the energy transition? <laughs> um, you know, persistence, um, but also, um, uh, per, uh, you know, patience and collaboration. So I, I say that because... A lot of the challenges that we have to get done will take a long time to get them done, and not being, you know, not losing sight of of the the goals that we have, you know, being persistent and pushing forward, especially when you're talking about industries like utility industries, which are extraordinarily complex, and, you know, have significant amount of interdependencies. Uh, being able to, to you know, be patient enough to understand that and understand the challenges, but also uh, persistent enough to make sure that you push forward and that you, you know, con- you know con- continuously collaborate with other folks. So I'm sure, I'm sure that was a lot more, you know, wordy uh, than you were probably looking for. Uh, but I think that's probably the best that you're going to get from me right now. Jason, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate your perspective and uh, giving us this uh, this time. Thank you. All right, Brad. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Jason Rondu is the Director of Power System Planning at the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with PostScript Media. Delivering on the clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify the journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Stephen Lacey, Dalvin Abawaji, and Camille Stennis, all from PostScript Media. The original theme song and mixing came from Sean Marquand. The GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show is providing value for you, and we really hope it is, please help us spread the word. You can rate or review us at Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. Thanks for listening. I'm Brad Langley.